When the St. Louis Cardinals visited the Washington Nationals to start the month of May, they took three of four from the home team. The Nationals then were in complete disarray. The Nationals now are in a spot for the postseason, holding on to wildcard position as they head to St. Louis this week. What's up, everybody? I'm Tara Wellman. Welcome back for another series preview. Yes, the Nationals look like a completely different team, and they bring three ferocious starting pitchers into the series with the Cardinals. And trying to hold on to that wildcard spot? Well, they're trying to hold off the same two teams that the St. Louis Cardinals are trying to hold off for the division title, plus a couple others here and there. Yes, the Cardinals are trying to hold off the Cubs and the Brewers, just like the Nationals are. Plenty of similar rooting interests after this series. But for this series to get you prepared to figure out what has happened with the Nationals since we last saw them in May, I'm very excited to bring to the show Blake Finney from Federal Baseball, SB Nation's Washington National site, to tell us all about it. Blake, thanks so much for joining me. How are things on the East Coast as we tick down the, the clock on the 2019 baseball season? It's definitely turning into fall, given the weather. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's been quite interesting, especially for the Nationals, as I'm sure we're going to touch on. Yeah, plenty to talk about. The last time the Cardinals had to really think about the Nationals, well, they were the Nationals were just really bad at that point in the season. I mean, that was back in May. The Cardinals took three of four out of that series. And now all of a sudden, we're looking at two teams that are both very much in the picture as far as the postseason is concerned. So I want to get into a lot of different things, a lot of different pieces of this heading into this series in St. Louis, but let's just kind of bigger picture, talk about what has happened with the Nationals this year. What has been the main story for this team and, um, you know, some things that were not great that turned into great things at this point? Yeah, so um, like you mentioned, the last time the Nationals met the Cardinals, they they finished off that series 13-17 and and were... Kind of going into going into a pretty dire stretch of baseball. They came out 19 and 31 after a four-game sweep against um, after the Mets swept them in four games. And since then, it's been completely different. So obviously, the bullpen uh, troubles. I'll put it lightly <laughs> that way. Um, were one of the bigger stories. They kind of they weren't great, but they were serviceable for a, a lot of that, um, and kind of allowed the starting pitching and the lineup to really take hold and uh, allow them to be one of the best teams in baseball since then. Um, David Martinez probably was close to getting fired, perhaps, uh, at the end of that rough stretch. Um, and he's kind of, I don't know, he's he's still, you can still tell he's a very inexperienced manager right now, but he's allowing the team to be themselves. Um, one of the big additions was has been Gerardo Parra and the whole dugout has been completely loose. You've probably seen the viral videos of dancing in the dugout, the baby shark walk up. Uh, I think that's probably what he's well known for. But having him there and David Martinez and his attitude has kind of allowed them to play loose and uh, get the best out of everyone on the team. I'm glad you brought up Martinez because from a distance, I feel like I see a lot of angst about decisions that he makes, particularly in-game strategy. But there is a learning curve there. The Cardinals organization is well aware of that. First with Mike Matheny as the last manager, now with Mike Schilt. There's some pieces that have to fall into place. You kind of trial and error your way through it a little bit. But 
is he constantly on the hot seat because of the things that went wrong, even though things are going right now? I think he is somewhat. He's. I think his strengths as a manager are um, not necessarily the in-game management type things. It's uh, his attitude around the clubhouse. He, obviously, the the media around the Nationals are kind of tired of his attitude of, we want to go 1-0 and every single day. Uh, but it works. Like the team, they they can suffer crushing losses because of the bullpen, and then the next night they come back and score 12 runs or something. So I think his communication and his demeanour around the dugout are probably his strengths, and that's what's allowing them to go through this. And perhaps the bullpen decisions aren't great, and if you've seen that, then <laughs> they're getting pretty far and wide. Uh, but I guess you could, you can still kind of put that, that down to inexperience, but at some point he's got to put his bullpen guys and some of the other guys on the bench in positions that they're going to succeed. We'll talk more about the bullpen as we go along. I feel like that's such a story for so many teams anymore is what to do with a bullpen and how to keep it from absolutely being the thing that destroys a season. We'll talk about that, but... Just to stay a little bigger picture still, what's been the biggest surprise for you about this team? Because obviously Bryce Harper leaving left a hole to fill as far as what the storyline was going to be. What has kind of surprised you as, as the talk of the town when you look at this team? I think the surprise has been kind of the complete facelift that they went through. So obviously from that 19 and 31 stretch. You were seeing a lot of these guys struggling, a lot of the bullpen that was back then. Uh, you guys are as Cardinals fans are well aware of Trevor Rosenthal and the expectations that we placed on him and that not going well. And um, they brought in a whole host of new guys. So they brought in three guys at the deadline, Daniel Hudson, uh, Rowenus Elias. He's been injured, Hunter Strickland. But Mike Rizzo has also been able to pick guys off uh, off the scrap heap. So Fernando Rodney has been pretty good. Uh and getting some of these other guys like Asdrubal Carrera, Gerardo Parra, and the way that they've come in mid-season and contribute, I think that's been the biggest surprise for me, uh, injecting some fresh life and obviously helping them be uh, at the head of the wildcard hunt at the moment. It's always a bit of a risk when you pick those guys up and you're like, ah, this could go really well or could go really poorly. The Cardinals have had both ends of that spectrum, particularly with relievers. So it's nice when it uh, works out on the positive side of that. Otherwise, you talk about angst from a fan base. That, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, Fernando Rodney's definitely the epitome of that. When you pick him up, well, we could get the good Fernando Rodney, but we could get this awful Fernando Rodney that was in Oakland at the start of the season. You kind of just cross your fingers and hope for the best. Okay, so let's talk about the bullpen specifically because, I mean, we can talk about the rotation and we will because there are all-stars throughout it. We can talk about the offense because the same thing could be said of them. But this bullpen has been the piece that it seems like is the Achilles heel for this Washington Nationals team. Why? What has gone wrong? Besides Trevor Rosenthal. How much time have you got? Uh, I think at the start of the season, it was a lot of high-risk, high-reward type um, type pitches. So you had Rosenthal, obviously, the highest risk and highest reward of them all. You could have got his dominant closer self, and perhaps you didn't imagine him completely imploding and uh, perhaps having the yips. But you also brought in Kyle Bearclaw, who had two really great seasons in Miami and then had a poor season, and he seemed to carry that on. Also and a former Cardinals... Uh, prospect. <laughs> I, remember, I, 
I can't remember what trade that was in. It was a while ago, but that, uh, before he went to Miami, he was a Cardinals prospect. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> Cardinals uh, are familiar with his ups and downs as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, but having those guys as the seventh, eighth inning early on kind of set the tone, and they were having struggles in the eighth inning getting the ball to Sean Doolittle. And then when Doolittle started to struggle a bit, potentially from some overwork, um, they just didn't have anyone that they could rely on until they got to the trade deadline when they picked up Hudson, Strickland, who have been great since they got here. They've struggled a little lately. Um, but it was it was difficult to piece together those late innings. And um, perhaps one thing led to another. There there's so many struggles. They were trying so many things late on that it kind of all snowballed into into one big mess. Yeah, it seems to be the way of bullpens that it it's certainly a domino effect, right? If you don't have the guy at the back end doing his job and then the guy in front of him, you try to put the pieces in place, but one one bad outing can just knock everything down. And then it's it takes a while to get it back to where it needs to be with some of those guys. One other thing that I think is interesting, that we, we talk so much and we read so much and write so much about matchups and what guys' splits are and... I mean, Sean Doolittle's the only lefty <laughs> that, yeah. that the Nationals are, are utilizing. Why? <laughs> Other than they just don't have anyone else? And do you feel confident with the lack of ability to sort of play matchups in the way that baseball is managed at this point? So they've ended up in that spot because uh, when they picked up Elias at the deadline, they were hoping that he was going to kind of be that lefty specialist, even though... Uh, this season, I think he's got reverse split, so lefties are hitting like 350 against him. Um, over his career, it's fairly neutral, so I'm not too worried about that in the long term. But him getting hurt, um, when they brought him on, they designated Tony Sip for assignment, so that was one lefty gone. And then I think it was August 31st, they designated Matt Grace for assignment, who wasn't great anyway, but he was all right at getting left handers out. And then that's kind of led to now Elias has gone down injured again. You've only got Doolittle, which isn't ideal because in the ideal world, you want him to be the dominant reliever he has been for the last two years uh, and closing out games. But right now, they're kind of easing him back in so you can match him up in the seventh and eighth inning, depending on whether there's a few left-handed hitters coming up. Um, overall, it's not a huge concern. It's, it's definitely a concern given some of the hard-hitting lefties. Uh, Freddie Freeman going to be in the playoffs. Cody Bellinger going to be in the playoffs. Uh, not Yelich, but he definitely would have been a concern. Um, unfortunately, he's now injured, but um, there's definitely some lefties to get out there. So you've got to figure out who can do it best, and nobody's really been able to do that so far. Well, talk about the, the rotation a little bit. I mean, you've got three incredible starters coming into the series in St. Louis, Strasburg, Corbin, Scherzer. We'll talk about that in a second. But when you look at the bullpen in the form that it's taken now, What's ideal, right? If you have those three guys as your starters, what's the ideal maybe one, two, or three guys that come out of that bullpen to finish off a game if all goes according to plan? See, I think if you've got everything going according to plan and perhaps Sean Doolittle working the ninth, you go uh, probably Hunter Strickland and Daniel Hudson as your seventh and eighth inning guys. That's what you brought him in to do. Hudson's been great since he got here, and he's also been really good with um, coming in with runners on. So perhaps he's... Perhaps he's sometimes the guy that comes in in the seventh if the starter leaves some guys on. So there is definitely a bridge there. Um, again, they're struggling a little lately, but hopefully come playoff time, they'll be there. And 
especially with a bit more rest, you can go to those guys who you know more often than not are going to do a fairly good job. And who's the guy that if he comes in, you're like, ah, oh. <laughs> everybody has one, right? It was Matt Grace. Uh, <laughs> not a problem anymore. <laughs> it might. It's tough now. There, we we were talking a little bit about it before about Tyler Webb. Yeah. Uh, that's why I asked. We just watched Tyler Webb give up a, a massive home run um, for the Cardinals against the Brewers. So. <laughs> There's no truly terrible reliever, but there are some who are just so hit and miss. You get Fernando Rodney, who every now and again, he's the Fernando Rodney of like 20 years ago. Uh, and then other times he has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> no idea what he's doing. And it's a bit all over the place. And you get the same with Wanda Suero, who's one of the, uh, I think it's his rookie season this year. I don't know if he pitched enough last year, but he also has so so many inconsistency problems that, uh, it, it's tough to put him in in those one-run games because if it goes wrong, then you've just blown a big lead. Yeah, that uh, gets a little dicey. And, you know, I, I'm sort of joking but kind of complaining about Tyler Webb. The Cardinals' bullpen has been phenomenal this year, so I can't complain too much about that. Every bullpen has those moments. But, yeah, there's always that one guy or two guys where you're like, I have no idea what's going to happen here, and we're just going to have to wait and see. Okay, let's talk about the starters because that has been the calling card for this Nationals team for so long and they're still so good. Strasburg, Corbin, Scherzer. What, when you put those three back to back, what are the expectations? I mean, are you expecting to win all three of those games because of the ability of those three starters? I think it's, it's tough because the lineup at times has been so... Uh, boom or bust and it can score double digit runs at any time but sometimes it can get shut out um, I can't remember who started the game for the Nationals but I remember they were shut out by the Orioles and you're just like well what, what can you do about that when the, the best, um, one of the better lineups in baseball at the moment gets shut out by one of the worst pitching stuff so it's tough but when you've got those aces on the mound you feel pretty good, they've all got ERAs under three and a half. Um, Corbin has been sensational since he's come in. Some wondered whether it was worth giving him that much after one, um, maybe two truly really good seasons. Um, but he's been more than worth it so far. So uh, you guys kind of <laughs> drawn the short straw getting all three of them in the same series, which hasn't actually happened as often as you would think this year. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's not what you want to see when you're the opponent. You go, oh, great. That's especially in a series that's as significant as this one is for, for the Cardinals. Can you pick between those three as far as a guy that you just enjoy watching the most? See, they're all so different in yeah. a way. Uh, you have Max Scherzer, who, I don't know, he gets possessed on it's the man. insane, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love watching his intensity... Um, even when he, he's not pitching at his best, you can just enjoy the show that he puts on in and around the mound, stalking the mound when he gets a big strikeout. But I also like watching Strasburg, where he's completely different personality-wise. He's so level-headed, doesn't do anything in terms of getting fired up in big moments, but he just dissects hitters. He can, I think, with some diminished stuff. So when he came into the league, he was throwing like 99, a hundred mile an hour fastballs. And now he's sitting kind of in the mid nineties, but with his change up with his curveball, he's so good at feeling out which one of those is on, on a particular day and um, picking apart hitters with ease with his off speed. So I, I really enjoy watching Strasburg as well. This, this may just be because I'm, I'm 
far enough away geographically from the Nationals, but Strasburg is a guy that I feel like almost gets forgotten in the mix of the of baseball's best pitchers because he's not Kershaw, he's not Scherzer, he's not Verlander, he's not but he's as effective as any one of those guys on any given night. And I think there was so much made about him when he first came into the league. And then, of course, the the drama about shutting him down early and all of those those things that are the stories that people know about him. I always feel like every time I see him pitch, I'm like, oh, I almost forgot how good he really is because he isn't the guy that's insane or, or crazy on the mound. He just goes out and does his thing. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's probably a combination of a couple of things where you've got um, Max Scherzer is now obviously the ace of the staff given what he's done for the team, but you've also got that insane hype that you mentioned when he first came into the league and kind of your first thought is he hasn't quite lived up to that because he's got like one or two top three Cy Young finishes when, when he came in you were going to go, right, this guy's going to win multiple Cy Youngs, look at the stuff, look at the off-speed, and he hasn't quite done that, but you look at um, you look at his resume, and I think there was a stat I saw recently where he's one of the better number one overall picks of all time. And you look, you go, really? Has he yeah. really been that good? And yeah, despite all the durability issues that he's had, he's still, when he's on the mound, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah, I, I always remember that when I do get a chance to watch him. And this series, will I'll get to say that about three different pitchers <laughs> that, the, that the Cardinals get to see. They'll face uh, Dakota Hudson in Game 1, Miles Michaelis in Game 2, and Adam Wainwright in Game 3, who's been sort of the revelation, I think, of this pitching staff. Jack Flaherty went um, on, uh, on Saturday night for the Cardinals, so you'll miss him in this series. But Adam Wainwright has been not the classic Adam Wainwright of old, but pretty darn good, and he's figured out how to seemingly get progressively better throughout the year, which is which is interesting. Um, I'm curious, when you look at any of those Cardinals pitchers from your perspective, I mean, I see Strasburg, Corbin, Scherzer, and I'm thinking, great, this is going to be a nightmare. What's, what's your take on what you know or have seen from your perspective on the, the Cardinals rotation? Um, well, last year it would have been Miles Michaelis, who obviously we're seeing yeah. on Tuesday, and he's not quite been the same. He's seemingly, um, I haven't seen him as much this year, but it seems like hitters are kind of figuring him out a bit after a few years away from Major League Baseball. Um, in terms of pitchers that I'm going to potentially be worried that might um, steal a game, I think D- Dakota Hudson um, is definitely one to watch. Um, kind of some command issues for him, but uh, he always seems to keep keep the Cardinals in the game. Even in um, Coors Field, he he may have lost, but he gave up two runs in seven innings, I think. Yeah. So that's definitely going to be an interesting matchup. And then um, Wainwright, again, perhaps might keep the Cardinals in it against Scherzer, who's still not too far removed from coming off the injured list. So they've all got some intrigue. Perhaps the one I feel most confident about is Tuesday when you've got Corbin on such a roll against the struggling Michaelis. But it's definitely going to be a more evenly matched series than some may think seeing the national starters and seeing their top three. Yeah, I think in name recognition alone, the nationals tip the scale, but that Strasburg-Hudson matchup is really intriguing to me, so that should be a fun game to watch. Okay, let's talk offense. i got to ask about good friend Matt Adams and his return to the nationals. He's a little banged up right now, though, I think, but give me an overview. Who's hot right now? Who's struggling? Who needs to get it going? Uh... 
we've got Ryan Zimmerman finally back, stealing some playing time from Matt Adams um, to the angst of some fans. <laughs> That's quite a hot debate. Um, but I think he's going to be such a such a huge part of this team because when Zimmerman's going, he can carry a lineup. He can hit fifth or sixth behind uh, Soto and Rendon, and then you really add some length to that lineup. So I think Zimmerman getting hot is going to be the key to this team down the stretch and potentially into the postseason. But perhaps um, one name to keep an eye on that you may not um, first expect when you look at kind of the name value is Asdrubal Carrera, who's been so clutch since he's come in. He's hit over 300 after hitting, I think he hit about 230 in Texas. Uh, pretty measly OPS. Now his OPS is up near uh, about 900 with the Nationals, I think. So uh, perhaps expect him to come up with some of these clutch hits, which is exactly what he did when he was previously with the Nationals. Not a lot of easy outs in this lineup uh, as you look up and down. I mean, of course, Rendon doing what he's capable of is always huge. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, particularly if you look kind of since the All-Star break, since the Nationals have really been playing well, not a lot of, not a lot of dead spots in that lineup for the opposing pitchers. Yeah, when you have Victor Robles often hitting like seventh or eighth, yeah. you get, get a little bit worried. <laughs> um, ask you the same question offensively. Who's been maybe the biggest surprise for you with this with this lineup? I think the biggest surprise has perhaps been, um, especially lately, Adam Eaton, even though he was banged up a little bit. I think he had a, a bone bruise in his knee. He's gotten really hot lately, got an OPS over 1,000 since, um, since the start of August, I think. So... Having him there where he had kind of been plagued by injuries early on in his um, in his time with the Nats, uh, he's really starting to turn into the player that the Nationals are kind of hopeful, which uh, helps a lot when you have Lucas Giolito absolutely dealing for the White Sox and make, <laughs> makes fans feel a little bit better about that deal. So I think having him there, if he uh, continues to kind of build up his health, then he's going to be huge and perhaps one of the biggest surprises for me uh, this season and especially lately. Not a question about this series or this season. Is Rendon back next year? Oh, that's the $250 million question. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's going to be interesting. Obviously, everyone knows about Boris, his agent, going to almost certainly take him to free agency now. They tried early on. I think the, the obvious time to do it, and it's what I kind of preached at the time, is as soon as Harper signed with the Phillies, you had to go and extend Rendon. You can't really afford to lose two superstar players in two straight off-seasons. So it's going to be interesting to see if the learners get their wallet out um, and uh, try and sway him from some other teams that may offer big money. I, I think the Rangers are probably one of the bigger threats for Rendon. I think in the end, uh, if, I, if I had to not sit on the fence, I think I would say he comes back after he comes back in like February. So it, it's a tough one because the market for him is still a little unclear. So yeah. I think they're, they're going to have to shell out because, like I said, you can't afford to lose two huge players and you don't really have a succession plan for Rendon at the moment. The free agency market has been so weird. I'm very curious how that plays out, how long it extends, how crazy the numbers get. And then, you know, if it's anything like the last couple of off-seasons, we'll all kind of go, huh, that's what the deal was <laughs> at the end of it all. So we'll see. Um, the Nationals in line for a wild card spot. How do you feel about where this team sits? Oh, obviously, 
the Brewers we talked a little bit before are kind of in that mix as well, trying to make a run at it. Nationals have never been a wild card team. How confident are you in in where they stand right now, looking at the postseason? I think um, I think it's basically wild card or bust. You've I think the Braves are ten and a half or something ahead of, as we speak now. So the the division's gone and that cushion uh, or that um, being able to go into that five game series rather than one game, anything can happen in one game. The Nationals got shot out by the Orioles in one game. So <laughs> having your whole season ride on that one game is tough. But when you have that starting pitching, you can have you have plenty of different options. If Scherzer's still kind of scuffling a little bit, I think he's got a four-odd ERA since he came back from the injured list. So you might turn to Steven Strasburg there if he's still pitching as we know he can. Um, so you, with those starting pitches, you give yourself a good chance. But in one game, that's like 60% compared to 50%. So... It's all about getting through that wildcard game because if you do get through, you've got the starting pitch and to really potentially make a deep run into October, though we've said that about the Nationals before. <laughs> <laughs> Anything can happen. Yeah. <laughs> Even the thing that you think is impossible can happen. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate your time talking about this series. Like, where can people find you and continuing coverage of this Nationals team down the stretch? So you can find me on Twitter at Finney Blake, uh, and you can find my various writing about the Nationals on SB Nation's Federal Baseball. So uh, hopefully we'll be writing about plenty of playoff appearance for the Nationals. We'll, uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that one. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, we'll, we'll do this again sometime if the Cardinals and Nationals should meet again. Hopefully it goes better than 2012. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. I, I felt like that was pretty good. <laughs> Pete Cosmo will forever live in infamy. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Blake. Do but September baseball is stressful. I'd forgotten how much pressure there is when you're trying to hold on to a division title or a wildcard spot, or maybe not sure which one you're going to end up with yet. It is a lot of pressure, but also a lot of excitement. And it's a lot of fun when these games in September still mean something. And this series, this week, with the Nationals, with that deadly trio of pitchers that the Cardinals are going to have to face, definitely means something. So thanks once again to Blake for helping me set it all up. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you did, make sure you follow Blake, check out his coverage of the Nationals and everything they've got going on there at Federal Baseball. And if you're not already following me, well... What are you waiting for? More series previews to come as we creep towards that finish line, looking to knock down a few more magic numbers along the way. Thank you so much for joining in. Let me know in the comments below which of those pitching matchups you are most excited to see because they could be doozies, all three of them. And if there's a guy you think is really going to turn it on from the offensive side of the plate for the Cardinals, in this series. Leave that in the comments below as well. Until next time, I'm Tara Wellman. Thanks for watching.